Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Lucas and Vincent were not in the mainstream of gay life. I was saving body parts, such as uh, skulls. Doesn't it bother you that he's a fag? You have done me a great service. Now I must service you. And the drugs were, were always a, a cry for attention, for somebody to pay attention to me before I, you know, kill somebody. <laughs> You can imagine what it smells like if you go into a closed room. Something is trying to get inside my body. Yeah, she's female and she's waiting for you in the cabana. And you want to sleep with me. Buckle up, Sodomites, and welcome to the Sinister Sissies podcast. You're got to true crime, horror, and everything man-on-man and macabre. I'm Jared, your master of depravity, staring at the beautiful faith... The, the beautiful face, rather, of my filthy little slave, Sam Hamilton. Hello, yes, I am more than happy to be Jared's filthy little slave. I've, I've tried some other masters recently and they just have not been working out for me. No, they don't treat read, him well. Read between the lines, people. <laughs> He's sending a message to I'm... someone. <laughs> am I? Sam's had a rough week, so if he's a bit low energy in the, in the podcast, you'll have to forgive him. We're doing something a little bit different today, although maybe not that different because Pup Tank was a very similar kind of episode. We're dealing with not necessarily a serial killer, um, even a murder in the strictest sense, uh, but a kind of predatory behavior that's resulted in two men. Um, it's worth noting that they're African-American men dead in West Hollywood, um, in California. We're talking, of course, about the case of Ed Buck. Now, uh, many of you have probably seen um, Ed Buck's name in the news 
got a lot of run in kind of queer press. He has uh, been charged with a number of offences related to injecting black men with methamphetamine um, over a long period of time and resulting in, as I said, two people dying. Yes, too much methamphetamine, we should add. Yeah, not the fun kind. Yeah, the speculation <laughs> that, you know, these are, you know, the amount that he was injecting was known not to result in people having a good time, but rather a not-so-alive time. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> Get ready for a lot of allegedly uh, for this, because the trial is still ongoing, um, and there's going to be a number of criminal trials and a number of civil trials, so it's going to be ongoing, I think, for, for a long period of time. And this man's powerful, so he could sue us. Yes. Uh, one thing to start off with, talking about Ed Buck, is that he is quite a wealthy man, um, and people like to highlight his connections with the Democratic Party. He was a donor to a lot of Democratic politicians, uh, including Hillary Clinton, uh, which the right-wing media has kind of jumped on a bit in relation to this. But yeah, quite a wealthy man and a politically connected man uh, and a white man. It should be noted because one of the reasons that Ed Buck had gotten away with the pay bear that he did, um, as argued by a lot of community groups, is because he was a wealthy white man who preyed on vulnerable black men. Also worth noting, he became very well known in the 80s because he was a very prominent African-American rights activist and animal rights activist. Yes. So he's definitely not the kind of person you would think would be partaking in this kind of exploitative behaviour. There was a big public-private uh, kind of... Uh, disconnect, I guess you could say. That plays into this story a lot. Um, but let's start off with a bit of kind of early life and background info. Um, so Ed Buck was born Edward Bernard Buckmelter, but he went by Ed Buck, um, on the 24th of August 1954 in Steubenville, Ohio. Um, we don't know much about his family life other than he came out when he was 13 years old. And as a young adult, he worked as a fashion model and as a kind of commercial actor, um, kind of working in ads, etc. Look, something satisfying. Sorry, uh, sorry, Ed, if you're listening. But he was like really good looking and now since like jail, he's really declined. So I'm like, that's karma for you. Yes, yes. Uh, and I think what will kind of go into later on is that Ed had a period of his life where he was kind of um, high status and, and high praiseworthy. And then at some point he kind of went off the rails. Yeah. And so, yeah, definitely his early life was probably very big for a narcissistic type person. Yeah. Well, like many of the narcissistic type people that we've covered on this podcast, he was, yeah, he, very entrepreneurial. As I said before, mm. he ended up t like helping a friend with their business, like during his, during the modeling era and turning it into like a multi-million dollar sort of empire, which I'm assuming he got a big slice of as well. So Yeah, so in, this is in the 80s. Um, it was a, a company called Rapid Information Services, which is like an early tech data company, which he turned into something called Gopher Courier and became a millionaire in his early 30s. He um, told a friend that he essentially could retire at the age of 37. Okay, maybe it was slightly after the modeling days then, but, you know, he... He knew how to hustle. He knew how to, you know, be charismatic and get what he wanted. And he got all those things until a certain point. So Buck, uh, in adulthood, as we said, as quite a wealthy man, settled in West Hollywood, California, 
known for being a kind of prominent LGBT area um, of California. Um, Buck was originally a Republican, but left the party due to its homophobia and began to be quite active in Democratic campaigns, um, being a not a major donor to the Democratic Party, but a minor donor to, to key figures. A bit of an oddity that often comes up in reporting about Ed Buck is that despite being quite wealthy, he lived a fairly frugal lifestyle. He lived in a cheap apartment at 1234 North Laurel um, and drove an old car and he even ran for city council in 2007 um, largely on the back of supporting LGBT causes. He was very prominent in the Stonewall Democratic Club which supported LGBT and feminist candidates and that's where he um, had a lot of connection to Hillary Clinton. Do you want to know a weird tidbit? Yeah. It was noted that his house, I'm not going to repeat the address because I can't remember. Mm. Laurel, blah, blah, blah. Mm. <laughs> Apparently North it Laurel. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Whoops. Apparently it resembles a plantation site. So, you know, oh, it's, ki yeah. it's kind of, you know, um, I, strange given the crimes that he has committed and the demographic he has chosen. He claims that he always had a bit of an affinity to the African-American community and was supportive in, in black causes, black civil rights causes throughout his life. But he had a very particular approach to viewing particularly young black men. Um, that was not supporting them as full human beings and more fetishizing uh, young black men. Ed Buck's life um, was fairly successful up until uh, around 2013 where his friends say he began to withdraw from political activities and, and charitable efforts um, after developing a habit for methamphetamine and a variety of other drugs and it was at this point that he began to spiral into fairly predatory behavior against young black men. So it had always been known that Ed Buck uh, kind of had a type that was a, a younger black male. However, his friends did note that it always had a bit of a, a, a weird um, kind of tilt to it. One of his friends uh, pointed out a good-looking black man in the nearby area and said, Ed, look, that's your type. And Ed replied, yeah, but I like him stupid. Since 2013, neighbours of Ed Buck had noticed disheveled young black men ringing the buzzers at all hours of the night and going up to Ed Buck's apartment. Yeah. Even on the night where the first death occurred, apparently, like, while the police were there, like, a young guy, like, showed up. And yeah. I guess he was ready to come over for some fun. But, um, yeah, the police turned him away. It but, was, you know, he had a heavy rotation. It was at least one a night, apparently, at one point, he would have just a random young black male up to his apartment. Um, one neighbour noted that um, she found a young black man masturbating on the sidewalk outside of the apartment block yelling about syringes. What Buck was doing was hiring sex workers or just otherwise vulnerable people, often they were homeless, and essentially saying, you can come back to my place for sex. When they would get to his address, there's been a number of kind of people who've come forward to talk about Ed Buck's um, routine. 
One of the oddities that um, has come from some of these reports, some of these reports are in the Daily Mail, so we want to put a little asterisk <laughs> on, on confirmation here. Not verifiable. Um, but one man who said that he um, used to frequently get called up and, be, got, and get paid by Ed Buck noted that he liked him to um, wear tight white underwear and they would um, mutually masturbate or exchange oral with one another. But uh, Ed Buck was kind of disgusted by anal sex or penetrative sex. Um, he once said to this man, um, two men fucking each other, faggots do that. Um, and I think that's an interesting psychology that we're talking about here. Um, because as well as the mutual masturbation and oral sex, Ed would frequently offer the men who came around drugs. And uh, in, in the case of methamphetamine, he had a preference not for smoking methamphetamine, but for slamming, slamming injecting the meth into the young black men yeah. who would come to his address. When I think that a lot of the men, or at least a few of the men, allege that they would like wake up and he would be like giving them, injecting them with additional meth. So, you know, more yeah. than what they had bargained for. And there was even a report that he gave one of them a drink of what he said was vodka, but then the person like passed out. Well, I think it's GHB. I think it's that classic thing that yeah. seems to come up in like a lot of the kind of killer cases and predatory cases that we look at, um, which is people using GHB as a date rate drug. Yeah. And yeah, there, there's been at least two accounts of people saying that they took a drink from Ed and then they woke up um, realizing that they'd been injected with something. And so he had, he had this, this kind of pattern um, where he would uh, apparently uh, cruise down a, a particular area that he knew people were um, lining up for emergency housing um, and he would select homeless people and offer them money for sex bring them back to his place and he would offer them drugs. Not that different really from Reynard Sinago, who would also like, he would use nightclubs and surrounding areas as like his like hunting grounds. We need to first of all talk about the fact that this kind of party and play stuff is a thing that people do. Like, I mean, I'm sure you've had some guy on Grindr message you with something, something PNP and like, Yes, they messaged me. Yeah, messaged <laughs> you. Well, it, this is like a... It, it is a popular thing for all you non-queer listeners. Party and play is a very popular activity in certain subsets of the, the gay male community anyway. In that subculture, not really, not really my thing, but like in that subculture, my understanding is that like you're using the drugs to give yourself a kind of heightened sensation in order to have sex, right? Yeah, well, it's, I, I guess the intent is usually so that you can like have really intense sex all night. Yeah. yeah, Ed Buck doesn't seem to be motivated in that way. He seems to have a fetish for picking vulnerable men and introducing them to men. Yeah. Well, it's almost like he also seemed to have a bit of a secondary fetish of like playing doctor. Like it was mm. like he liked to see how far he could push the victims because he would intentionally overdose them. Allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> allegedly, allegedly. And, and, and that he wanted to be the... They couldn't inject themselves... And they couldn't smoke the meth because that's the most common way that people consume mm. meth is that they smoke it. So even guys who had done meth in the past, slamming to them was like this, like a threshold that they that had been crossed. Well, one of one of the victims did allege that he was known as Doctor Kavorkian. Yeah. In the gay community in West Hollywood, which was like a famous was he a doctor or was he, he was a euthanasia? Was he a pa yeah. pathologist? Anyway, he was someone that used to give people yeah he used euthanasia. to he, he used to euthanize people. Mm. And I think about that 
um, in connection with his weird idea about penetrative sex being for faggots. And I'm like, is this like some metaphorical thing happening for him? Well, maybe it's like he couldn't have penetrative sex with the victims because that would humanise them too much. I know, it's it's odd because his behaviour doesn't line up to being like this huge like queer activist is not the the lesson of synesthesis that like people have real weird sexual pathologies a lot of people seem really nice and they're actually exactly yeah murderers yeah. so you know sometimes they're look, santas or clowns look at that sweet man in your office and he's probably knocking off a few twinks well yeah this is why like you want someone that's like a little bit dodge right like it's who wears their yeah, but no one we cover is ever like it it's never like everyone thought he was a freak it's always like he was loved by the community Dharma everyone thought was a freak Dharma they thought was weird but hot yeah so I mean that was still that's still, the hotness gave him the leg up I guess yeah so so I think in this case is you know we can talk a lot about and there's been a lot of spin-off articles talking about this PNP culture and that that's really bad and I'm kind of you know, I think that's a different discussion to what we're talking about with Ed Buck because Ed Buck specifically chose vulnerable young men to inject with drugs, and that is what he eroticized. He eroticized the injection and the the predation mm. on these guys, and he got away with it for a number of years um, until the first death as a result of this, this pattern that he had entered into. Um, the first person to die that we know of um, at Ed Buck's address was 26-year-old Jamel Moore. Um, and I went down a bit of a rabbit hole reading all about Jamel Moore's life because he was kind of an interesting guy. He was very involved with, and I'm surprised it still happens, the kind of ballroom scene. Yeah. Yeah. What was that documentary called? Paris is Burning? Paris is Burning. There's like an old um, documentary, Paris is Burning, kind of talking about this like black LGBT um, kind of, I was going to call it drag. It's not drag. It's like a performance thing. Yeah, um, Pose as well, the Ryan Murphy show, your favourite. That, oh, yeah. That's about the boring is scene it? as there well. There you go, yeah. Jamel Moore would, because he was a kind of very uh, attractive young guy, would play this kind of like preppy character and he would like what do they call it like playing preppy realness or something like that god i sounded so white just then <laughs> well look clearly they're both are experts on the ballroom scene but he liked to play a character and that character obviously tickled schoolboy realness schoolboy realness is what he'd play um uh so he was very active in that scene and had a lot of um connections in that scene more also um as kind of income um, did sex work. When it comes to one of the, the um, commentators or, or um, people that were talking about young black men in West Hollywood is you could earn so much more money doing sex work uh, in that area than you could in any kind of service level job. Um, so if you didn't have a college degree, it wasn't that uncommon for people to do sex work on the side. And during this work, uh, more um, began to see Buck. Now, um, since Jamal Moore's death, we only really know what we can piece together from friends and um, other sources, including a journal that he kept. In one journal entry that Moore left about his relationship with Buck, he said this, 
I honestly don't know what to do. I've become addicted to drugs and the worst one at that. Ed Buck is the one to thank. He gave me my first injection of crystal meth. It was very painful, but after the troubles, I became addicted to the pain and fetish fantasy. In another entry, he wrote, My life is at an all-time high right now, and I mean that from all ways. I ended up back at Buck's house and got manipulated into slamming again. I even went to the point where I was forced to do four within two days. This man is crazy, and it's sad. Will I ever get help? So he was engaged with Buck and he frequently, frequently went back to his address. All accounts say that Jamal Moore had, hadn't done methamphetamine prior to seeing Buck. He was introduced to it um, by Buck and um, essentially spiraled into addiction. Yeah, well, this diary has been used quite a lot by activists and people trying to get justice for the victims. But how often do you have a victim of a crime who's basically documenting the crime Yeah. Um, up until they die, you and know? he was encouraged to keep this journal going by a friend who essentially thought Ed Buck was being predatory and wanted to... Even when he was still alive, his friends were saying, this guy's fucked up, you need to document what's happening. Yeah. In the spring of 2017, Jamel Moore, because of his addiction, went back to his family home in Texas. However, on the 20th of July, 2017, Moore took out his phone and contacted Buck. Buck paid for Moore to fly back to LA and Buck picked him up from the airport. On the 27th of July, 2017, uh, the Sheriff's Department, the California Sheriff's Department responded to a 911 call at Buck's address. When they arrived, they found a young black man lying unresponsive on a mattress, naked except for white socks. It was Jamel Moore. Buck told deputies that about two hours earlier, his friend injected meth. A little after that, he became very warm to the touch. Buck tried to get a neighbor who had medical training um, to perform CPR, but uh, Jamel Moore was, was instantly dead, essentially from an overdose. A number of, of, of things were discovered at the scene. Um, one of the things that they found that frequently comes up in accounts of Ed Buck is that he had a, a torch, one of those thick torches, like a mag light. Mag light? Is that what they're called? Look, another, another case of both of us being clueless, but you know, yeah. a big-ass a big torch. Trade men have them. Okay. Big torch. I know the torch you mean. Like yeah, yeah. Like movies people use them as weapons. Yeah. Um, and in that, it was just filled with drugs. So he had like heroin, meth, like any any type of drug you can think of, he had in this, this torch. It was becoming clearer and clearer why he had withdrawn from public life, essentially. Mm. Mm. And yeah, even when this investigation... I think I mentioned this before, but when the police came to do this investigation... Uh, another boy arrived and was, yeah. and was turned away. And all reports say that Buck was quite emotional and the neighbour was crying and Buck was like resting on his shoulder. Yeah. So it really did, it was painted quite convincingly as like a tragic accident at the time. But obviously all the drugs were being seized and it was clear that Buck was into drugs. That doesn't mean that you've been involved in anything sinister necessarily. The, yeah, it was actually um, called by the medical examiner, examiner as an accidental overdose mm -hmm. within 24 hours because, the, because of the circumstance. This is one of the reasons that um, a lot of local black community activists criticise the handling of this case, particularly Jamal Moore's case, um, because nobody asked questions 
as to, you know, why was this young man here who was involved in the, the who was involved in the injecting of the drugs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It was essentially like young black man, older wealthy white man, he seems upset, it was accidental, it's fine. On that topic, um, Jamel's mum, whose name was Letitia Nixon, uh, she was obviously quite upset by the fact that she felt like this was being sweep, swept under the rug. And she did, I won't read out the entire quote because it's quite extensive. There was a newspaper called the WeHo Daily and she basically expressed her grievances and said that, you know, my son wasn't working and had no money when he left Texas. He didn't have money to pay for his flight or buy the meth that the coroner said killed him. Yeah. So she was quite dubious, understandably, that, you know, he was clearly supplied drugs by this man. He was with this well, man. He, he, not just that he was supplied drugs, the only reason he could get yeah. to Buck's address was because Buck paid for the flights. Yeah, so, you know, there was an, there was an arrangement here and she felt, understandably, that it, it had all been kind of swept under the rug and he was, you know, being protected because of his powerful political friends. Um, and it was um, during this time as well that the case came to the attention of local activist Jasmine Kanick. You don't mess with her. No, she is <laughs> she is a, a, a woman to be reckoned with. She became aware of the case and began to gather information from young male sex workers in the area about Buck's behaviour. And she was also able to access Jamel's notebook. Yes. Which formed the basis of a lot of this as well. And you can still go on her, on her website, um, which kind of chronicles that she's been calling for Ed Buck's arrest from day one and been getting a lot of community support. Interestingly, after this as well, um, a lot of local male sex workers were also trying to bait Ed Buck. They would get into conversations with him and then say, oh, so what actually happened with that guy in your apartment to try and get him yeah. to confess? So the word was spreading that something odd had happened at that apartment. However, the district attorney at the time, um, Jackie Lacey, who was also the first black district attorney for Los Angeles, stated that there was insufficient evidence to charge Buck with anything um, for Moore's death. Um, and that caused a lot of outrage in the community. One of the um, homeless men that Ed Buck approached said that he saw him for a number of weeks and let Ed Buck inject him with methamphetamine, but he would bring his own meth, um, which he knew that was lower in dosage. So he would strategically bring low dosage methamphetamine so that Ed Buck wouldn't inject him yeah. with anything that was too high. If that's not suggesting something, then I don't know what is. Mm, yeah, the fact that they were developing strategies to avoid being harmed by him. Buck's behaviour continued though. He continued to be having, you know, Black men have actually all ages over because I think the next victim was in his 50s. Yeah. And yes, and then there was a new victim. Do you want to tell us about him, Jared? About a year and a half from the death of Jamel Moore, uh, paramedics were called to Buck's apartment on the 7th of January 2019 following a 911 call. Um, when they got there, 55-year-old Timothy Dean was lying unresponsive on the mattress on the floor naked except for white briefs and his mouth um, mouth was um, purging blood from it. The medical examiner looked at Timothy Dean's body and concluded that he had died from an overdose of methamphetamine uh, in combination with alcohol. We know less about Dean's life. Um, he worked as a fashion consultant and also uh, on, the, on the side worked as a porn performer 
using the name Hole Hunter, which is very graphic. He was heavily involved in local gay sports teams um, and, and generally was not somebody who you would normally think to fit Buck's pattern. Um, he was an older man. He wasn't vulnerable. He wasn't homeless in any way. But we do know that he um, started to see um, Buck um, a couple of weeks prior, and that's when he was first introduced to methamphetamine. Um, he remained at the address over a period of time, eventually leading to his death. This, of course, sparked a lot of outrage, but again, Buck was not charged with anything. Although, soon after this death, I believe one month after, uh, Jamel Moore's mother, Letitia Nixon, filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Buck, um, claiming that Buck had a predatory and injurious system of soliciting black men and watching them cling to life. And this was proven further true because on September 11th, 2019, there was a third almost victim, but they managed to escape. They made it to 7-Eleven or a mm. convenience store yep. where they were able to have 911 calls. But, you know, the, pa the pattern continued and I'm sure it would have just kept on kept on going. But I think I guess whatever happened that night was the genesis for his arrest. Yes. So this, this young man who hasn't been named was staying at Buck's apartment for a number of weeks um, and slamming and injecting drugs. This man noted that although he was consensually using methamphetamine for some time in Buck's apartment, Buck had um, got a needle set up for him and injected him with an incredibly high dose of methamphetamine. When this man started to panic about the dosage he was given, Buck refused to call 911. Um, and because of that, he fled the scene. And that's what, how he ended up fleeing to the um, convenience station and calling 911 from there, claiming that he thinks he's having a heart attack. Soon after this, uh, the final man uh, went to police, uh, Buck was arrested and charged with initially um, distributing methamphetamine then with a number of other charges. Currently, where we're at in terms of Ed Buck's charges, at a state level, he's, cha he's charged with maintaining a drug house, battery causing serious injury, that's in relation to the man that got away, administering methamphetamine, that's in relation to Jamel Moore and Timothy Dean. And then at a federal level, he is charged with distribution of methamphetamine resulting in death. Um, as well as a number of charges related to prostitution. So particularly with Jamel Moore and paying for his flights, he's got extra charges associated with that. And this was all supposed to be taken care of last year, but yeah. because of COVID, a lot of, a lot of the proceedings have been delayed. So yeah, it's still ongoing, as Jared says. It was even meant to be a trial like 10 days ago. I don't know. I don't this know is what... the federal trial. Yeah. So yeah, so the federal trial needs to go before the state trial. Um, the commentary, the legal commentary, not to get too like legally, but, um, the legal commentary that I'm hearing about the federal charges is that they're going to be tricky to prove, particularly the supply of methamphetamine causing death because they would need to establish that Buck is the one, um, that supplied the methamphetamine as opposed to the men that died supplying it themselves. And so that's going to be a bit of a hurdle 
and then there's the state charges. But the odds are is that Ed Buck will go under for at least one of these charges. And I should note that the family of Timothy Dean have now also filed a wrongful death suit in that they claim that Buck had a predatory and injurious system of soliciting black gay men and watching them cling to life while they battled symptoms of methamphetamine toxicity after he intravenously administered large doses of the drug to, him, to them. So we got two wrongful death suits and a whole bunch of criminal charges against yeah. him. And a lot of allegations from other people. So there are some unnamed victims. One of them said Buck injected him with a tranquilizer, which made him unable to move. Mm. When the victim wanted to leave, Buck apparently came out of the closet with a power saw and turned it on and approached the victim, like threatening them with it. Allegedly, allegedly. allegedly. But you know, quite quite scary stuff. There was another person who said that he woke up and Buck and another man were filming him. Yeah. So, you know, there's been a lot of allegations from a lot of... But most of these people have been de-identified. But... Because they're, they're vulnerable, young, black sex workers. And I think that, that there's a couple of things that probably need to be put out there about why Ed Buck got away with, allegedly, allegedly, what he did. Sex work is criminalised, so even offering to do sex work um, in California would be a criminal offence. So many of them would view themselves as offenders there and possession and use of drugs is a criminal offense and so many of the victims as well would be wary of getting a criminal record and you know we all know particularly in the United States but everywhere um, black men entering the criminal justice system are not treated the same way as white men certainly Ed Buck being a wealthy white man was able to get away with uh, what he did for much, much longer um, because of those, those factors. Never underestimate the power of the rich white man. Thank you for listening to the Sinister Sissies podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Sinister Sissies. You can follow us on Instagram at Sinister underscore Sissies. You can follow me on Twitter at Jared Bartle. I think I did that completely out of order. Um, if uh, you can, we would love for you to support us on Patreon. Um, for early access to episodes and also our after show where we talk about random things. Until next time though, stay sinister. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.